This evening's scripture is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And who is wise in understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you're worshiping with us tonight. Here at Grace, we strive to know the gospel, believe the gospel, and then share the gospel because we believe that the gospel is good news. This summer, we are going through the book of James, as Andrew just read for us, and tonight, we are learning where wisdom comes from. Last week, we looked at with Pastor Josh the power of the tongue, the power of the tongue. In James 3, 6 through 8, we read, the tongue is a fire setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We looked at how though God gave us words and God gave us our lips and our tongue to praise him, we use it for our own purposes. This is just one of a host of things we've looked at in the book of James that are real life street-level issues that we struggle with on a daily basis. So last week, we learned about the power of the tongue. We have also learned about self-deception. We have also learned about showing partiality in a negative way towards one another. We've learned about the anger of man. And next week, we are going to talk about where quarrels and fights come from due to our idolatry. These issues are real, everyday, street-level, lived-life experience things that James is warning us against. And just as we're looking at in this whole book, we are taking a look at what genuine faith looks like and how that leads to works in our life. We don't earn faith, we don't earn grace, but when we have genuine faith given by grace, it leads to a life of works. So James has been giving us these negative examples of what the flesh looks like, the world looks like, what a life that is not lived by faith looks like. Today, James gets right to the heart of things and tells us why we struggle so much with the things of this world and why we struggle so much with relationships and everyday life circumstances. It's because we lack wisdom, and he tells us where to get wisdom from. Would you pray with me and for me as we get started? Heavenly Father, we want to hear wonderful things from your word, God. We want to see uh, what is wise and what is true and what is spiritual, but what is real and, and everyday truth and wisdom. God, would you show us what we need to see tonight? God, I pray that in each part of tonight uh, that we would see clearly what you would have us do. God, that we would see what genuine faith looks like, and ultimately we would praise you with more of our life because you're worthy of our praise. God, we declare what we just sang that we need you tonight. So we pray that you would do the work and you would take my humble words and use them for something bigger and more wise than me. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I want to let you know that tonight's sermon is broken up into two parts. It's a little bit different than the way we normally do things. I'm going to talk here for a little while. We're going to do another song, and then I'm going to conclude with our application for the night. I wanted to uh, let you know about that for two reasons. I don't want you to get to the end of the next 20 minutes and be like, that was the shortest sermon ever. That's great. Where's the food? And I also didn't want you to start into the next part after the song and go, okay, this is just a quick application. And then 20 minutes later, you're like, he's still talking. So just want to warn you up front, we have food tonight, but before you can get food, you're going to listen to me for 20 minutes. Jeff and Laura are going to lead us in another song, and then I'm going to talk for 20 more minutes, but by the end of it, we're going to know what this passage has to say to us, and we're also going to see a vision for how to receive wisdom in the context of biblical community. So that's where we're headed tonight. So if you haven't already, open with me to James chapter 3, and we'll take a look at what these verses tell us about wisdom. James chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good contact, conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Here, James starts with the question that we should have on our minds. And this is really a question that we subconsciously have, and this is a question that our world has. Where does wisdom and understanding come from? Here, James uses two Greek words. Uh, we see them translated here, who is wise and who is understanding. I'm going to give you a couple of more nuanced definition of these two words because it helps us see what James is getting at and it's helpful for what we're looking at here tonight. The word wise is, uh, the Greek word there is the word that we get sage from, a sage. The idea of a sage is not necessarily something you hear or think of or say or read on an everyday basis, but the idea of a sage goes back centuries. And every belief system and every religion and every real philosophy, uh, and in particular philosophies of religion, have sages. There are some common themes with those sages. You can find sages in Hinduism, where actually they believe that the sages of old, the beginners of their faith, now have gone on to be stars and make up the constellation of the Great Bear or the Great or the Big Dipper. You may have heard of the epics that were written in especially Hindu faith. They were written by these called sages. The Chinese have ancient sages as well. There were seven sages of the bamboo grove where poets and scholars came together and they abandoned uh, their normal way of life and went off and lived in a retreat together to seek out the wisdom of the universe. There have been in other uh, belief systems and other civilizations, scientists, lawmakers, patrons of the arts that were all called sages. You may have heard the idea of a demigod, this is also another name for sages. The one thing that sages and the idea of a sage has in common is that it is someone who has collected wisdom over not only decades, but centuries and even lifetimes. It is someone who's collected wisdom in this life, but then in some way gone on to the next life and continues to collect wisdom, and then we need to seek out that wisdom from them. The common theme, though, is that it is those with lots of everyday experience, and they have reached a point of being a sage. This is very different than our idea of wisdom 
in our modern, technologically uh, advanced culture. We now are here every day about new wisdom and new ways of doing things and shortcuts on how to do everything. Everyone is looking for a shortcut so they can get wisdom or just the facts or the knowledge that they need faster so that they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. Whether it's fixing a kitchen sink or learning how to be a more organized person, we are not looking for sages and ancient wisdom. We are looking for quick fixes. How fast can I get this done? How fast can I become this kind of person? How fast can I become wealthy, successful, retire? Whatever it is, we are no longer looking for sages. We are looking for quick fixes. And not only so, everyone is touting that they have wisdom for us. It comes in the form of information. We are in the information age. We have more information than we have ever had about more things. Some of it accurate, some of it not, a lot of it right in the middle. And we have come to call it in our culture something like wisdom. You see the big difference between these two ideas of wisdom. The, the sage who has lived for lifetimes and collected wisdom, and then the wisdom of our day, which is quick fixes and shortcuts to wealth, happiness, success. So James starts with this word that is similar to sage. Who is a sage? And then he says, who is understanding? This word is a more hands-on word. The closest English translation to this Greek word is actually master. Who is a master? Or to be masterful. It means you have hands-on done things. James Ankrum runs a lab at the University of Iowa, and I took college biology for non-majors. That's the science class you take if you don't want to take any other science classes. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I looked at the syllabus and I said, how many science classes do I have to take? I took college biology for non-majors, and I've read a couple of books about neuroscience. James Ankrum runs a lab at the University of Iowa. If I say I have mastered science, and he says he has mastered science, the idea is that James is the master of science, because he's actually done it. You don't want me anywhere near science. He gave me a tour through his lab, and it made me very uncomfortable that I was going to break something, and set back research decades just by touching something. James is a master because he has hands-on actually done science. So we have these two ideas of a sage and a master. So who is a sage and who is a master among you? What James is really asking for is who has wisdom about everyday life? Who has wisdom that will actually help in everyday life? And we know this by the second part of this sentence. He says, by his good conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. By his good conduct. That phrase, good conduct, means his manner of life. So how do we know who a sage is or who a master is or when we have mastered something? By the, our manner of life. The way we actually live our lives. 
James here is saying we need to find a wisdom that works in everyday life for people that have actually mastered something. He is telling us here that wisdom and quick fixes and more information about more things that may or may not be true is not true wisdom. He is saying that wisdom needs to be lived out and proven to be true at a street level, at an everyday life level. James here is saying, if there is wisdom, let me see it. And he is also telling us it can be seen. It can be seen in everyday life if someone else has wisdom, if a philosophy or a religious idea has wisdom. We can also know if we have wisdom and we see it in our manner of life. We see it in our everyday life. So that's what he's setting up for us in this first sentence. Next, he lays out for us what wisdom is not. So he puts it in the negative. I don't think this is working. Daniel, could you you help me? Or maybe it's lagging. There we go. Daniel just had to walk towards the computer and it started working. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. A few observations that you can make just from looking closely at what wisdom is not. You don't have to know the Greek. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to read the commentaries. Just look at the text and let's see what this is saying that wisdom is not. First, we see this is the alternative to wisdom. And take note that it doesn't say that this is what wisdom is not, a lack of intelligence. It doesn't say wisdom is not a lack of intelligence. It does not say a lack of wisdom makes you simple-minded. What does he list here? Ethics. Ethical concerns. Manner of life. How we treat Our fellow man is what he gives us in this list. We can see that just by looking. Jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, falsehood. Uh, It is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. It's every vile practice. He's talking about everyday life. These are ethical concerns. He's not talking about being simple-minded. He's talking about how we treat one another. If you've been through this series and if you've been reading through the book of James, you can also add another word here. He is talking about a lack of righteousness, right? We've been talking about what righteousness is. This is a lack of righteousness. This is a lack of treating others with justice. This is treating others with partiality. This is a selfish ambition and a bitter jealousy that affects the way we treat one another at a lived experience. These are the things that we can just see right here in the text. So now he's going to tell us what wisdom is. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. A few things to take note of here. Look at these words. This is the opposite of the above list. True wisdom comes from above instead of being earthly. Remember we heard that wisdom is not from this earth. It comes from above. 
It's the opposite of the above list. These are the things that come from God. These are the things that come from above. These are not something that we can obtain on the internet if we just look long enough or if we just watch the right news source or just have the right feed on Twitter. It comes from above. So this list is the opposite of the previous list. Also note here some of the fruits of the Spirit. This looks very much like the fruits of the Spirit. James here is talking about the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit's work in our life. And then look at the callbacks to previous things that we've talked about in this letter. The idea of mercy, the idea of purity, the idea of impartiality, sincerity, good fruit coming out of a genuine faith. James here is saying that the wisdom that comes from above, the wisdom that comes from God, is the exact opposite of earthly human wisdom that can be gained in the flesh on the internet. This is wisdom from above. Next, in verse 18, he says, And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. First question we need to ask is this word, peace. This word, peace. We're talking about wisdom here, and James is telling us where wisdom comes from, uh, and then he introduces this concept of peace. Why does he use the word peace twice here? Because, uh, once again, he is talking about ethical concerns that true wisdom leads to how we treat one another. That true wisdom will lead us to treat one another in a certain way. We will live a life of peace, and this tells us we will sow peace into our life and into our relationships. He is telling us once again that wisdom, true wisdom, leads to right relationship with one another. It impacts how we actually treat one another at this street level. This is where much of our everyday struggles lie. This is where much of our everyday consternation, this is where much of our everyday sadness and fear and anxiety lies. It's in our personal relationships with one another, isn't it? And much of our emotions are impacted by how we have been treated by others in the past, how we are currently being treated by others, how we have treated others in the past. Here, James is making this connection between peace and wisdom. And then we read that righteousness is sown into our lives and into this world by peace. By peace. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. A harvest of righteousness. This is what we want from life. We want a life of righteousness. We want a world of righteousness. We want right relationship with God and we want right relationship with one another. And any negative emotion that we experience is because we don't feel right with God and we don't feel right with someone influential in our life. We want righteousness in our relationships. And we're told here that a harvest of righteousness is sown by what? Peace. By those who make peace. We sow righteousness into this world when we live a life of peace. So how are we going to do that? Well, first, we have to receive the righteousness that comes from God. Because first and foremost, we need and want a right relationship with God. We are 
keenly aware of the idea that there is a break in our relationship with God. Even if you are a person who believes there is no God or multiple gods or you're not sure if there's a God, there's an idea in the back of our mind that says either there is no God or if there is a God, how would we even know him? Or if there is a God, I'm not good enough to even know him or smart enough to know him or wise enough to know him. We all have this idea that we are not right with God. We first need a right relationship with God. Before we can have right relationship with one another, before we can sow peace or righteousness into this world, we first have to know a righteous God. And we have to be in right relationship with this God. But there's a problem. This God is righteous. The one who made us is righteous. The one that the Bible speaks of is holy. He's perfect. He is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-perfect. But we sow division. We sow division. We just learned last week that though our lips are made to praise God, we use our lips, we use our words to sow division, to hurt others, to set a world of unrighteousness on fire is what James calls it. We create a world, or the literal translation is a kingdom of unrighteousness in this world every time we speak. Our words break relationships, and others' words have broken our relationships. So there's a perfect God, but we are not perfect, and we live in an imperfect world, and we do not live in a kingdom or a body or lips or have a heart of righteousness. That's why we need someone who is righteous. Someone who does sow peace with his words. To live on our behalf, to die in our place, to speak the words that we are incapable of speaking. That's what Jesus came to do. Pastor Josh taught us last week that Jesus spoke out of his heart even when he was on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. His heart was righteous. He always did the will of the Father. And though he was perfect, he died a sinner's death in our place. We need a right relationship with God. Then we can sow peace into this world. Then we can know what peace is. Then we can live at peace with God and others. And then we can live a life of wisdom. So let's break this down and clarify. What is wisdom? Knowing what peace and righteousness are and then living a life of peace and righteousness. That's how James is defining wisdom for us. It's knowing what peace and righteousness are that comes from our relationship with God because that's the only way we can know what righteousness and peace are or experience them in our lives. And then we live a life of peace and righteousness. This is James' big idea for the whole book. We don't just know what righteousness or peace or faith is. We live it out. So it's knowing righteousness and peace, and then living a life of righteousness and peace. Doesn't this seem insurmountable? I was so convicted listening to Josh's sermon. I actually watched it this morning with my kids because we all needed a little uh, course correction on our speech. We needed to get caught up because we were out of town last week, and so we listened to Josh's sermon. I was so convicted because of what my lips show about what's going on in my heart. 
How do we know what peace and righteousness are? How do we live this life of peace, especially if we have already sown unrighteousness with our speech and in our relationships, and if those things have been sown into us by influential people in our life? How do we get wisdom? It comes from God. Look with me at three verses in the book of James. James 1.5 If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. This is a promise. And this promise, like all other promises in scripture, are not based on your righteousness. Look at the one giving wisdom. Look at how he sees us. Out of his loving kindness towards us, he gives generously to all without reproach. Without condemning us for our rightful sin and the things that we have done that we have to own. He doesn't give us wisdom based on our merit. He gives us wisdom generously without finding fault in us. We just have to ask the one surefire way to not receive the wisdom we need is to not ask for it from the only one that can give it. How much time do you spend trying to solve your own problems? And how much time do you spend asking your heavenly father who wants to give you wisdom, who promises you wisdom and does not find fault in you? How do we get wisdom? We ask God. Next, James 1.21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness, that's humility. We're going to learn more about that, how humility draws us near to God. We receive with meekness the implanted word. We receive with meekness. We receive with humility. We receive with a posture of we need wisdom and God's the only one that's got it. We receive with meekness the implanted word. The work of the spirit, the word of God working in our lives, others speaking godly wisdom into our life, we receive that with meekness and we submit to it and we obey it and we do it. We're going to talk more in just a little bit on receiving wisdom from others. That's part of what he's talking about here. 3.13, James 3.13. By his good conduct... By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. James recognizing once again that wisdom comes from a meekness, a humility, a recognition that there is a good God with wisdom. And when we need wisdom, we need to go to him and ask him to give. We are surrounded by a life full of the opposite of wisdom. We are surrounded in a world of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, falsehood, wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. We are surrounded by a world that practices every vile practice. We need wisdom that comes from God. In order to receive wisdom and live a life of righteousness and peace, we need to hear from God's word, spirit, and people. We need to hear from the Lord. We need wisdom that comes from him. We need to 
in meekness submit ourselves to his spirit's work and we need to hear God speak through his people and receive with meekness the wisdom that God offers to us. So I want to answer the question for us, how are we going to do that at Grace Community Church and specifically how are we going to do that in this school year? I also want to answer the questions for us and clarify the questions for us that we should have on our minds when we talk about what is a disciple and how do we make disciples. So ultimately, this is going to lay out how we're going to receive wisdom, but it's also going to answer the questions, what does a disciple need, how are disciples made, and why should I be in biblical community? I want to clarify these things for you, uh, both what the Bible says and what we believe as a church, and then talk about how we're going to live those out in the context of biblical community. Biblical community has been the backbone of what we've done at Grace Downtown since the very beginning. Next August will be our 10th anniversary, and we have always had a large participation in biblical community and community groups. And um, it's really been how we've primarily gone about making disciples. So I want to clarify for you what we're trying to accomplish in biblical community and make things a little bit clearer than they have been in the past. So first, what is a disciple? A disciple loves God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves your neighbor as yourself. This should sound familiar to you. (laughs) This should sound familiar to you because this is how Jesus sums up the law and the prophets. This is how Jesus sums up the Old Testament. This is how Jesus sums up the law of God, to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This should also ring true as we go through the book of James, right? James is saying that if we genuinely have faith in God, if we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we will love our neighbor as ourself, or it shows we are not doing the first thing. We don't have genuine faith. We don't have the righteousness that comes from Christ because then we can't sow peace into our relationships with one another. He is talking about an ethical concern based on our relationship with God. He is really commenting on what Jesus had already said. So this is very simply what a disciple is. Someone who loves God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loves their neighbor as themselves. And it should be implied as you read that that they do it imperfectly. Because this side of glory, this side of heaven, we strive to do this, but imperfectly. If you are striving to do this, then you are a disciple. If others in your life are striving to do this, then they are a disciple. This is what a disciple does. Growing in this day by day, year by year, season by season in their life. So this is what a disciple is. Based off of that, how are disciples made? How are disciples made? First, they hear from God's word, spirit, and people. That's what we talked about. That's how we receive wisdom. They hear from God's word, spirit, and people. And then they bless the world through declaring and demonstrating the gospel. This, again, rings true with what James has been telling us, what Jesus says, that to be a disciple is to hear from God. That's how they're made. We hear from God. We believe what God says. We believe it to be true. We believe what righteousness is. We believe what wisdom is. We believe what God is calling us to do. We believe what God says about the world is true. And then we live it out. So a disciple hears from God's word, spirit, and people. That's how we're made. That's how we grow in our love for God and love for others. Because this book tells us everything that we need to know about loving God and loving others. It's timeless and timely in that way. But then also as we look at God's heart, we then will grow in our desire to bless the world around us. That's the loving our neighbor part. 
we're looking for more and more ways to bless the world around us through demonstrating and declaring the gospel. That's what we talked about this spring. We went through the BLESS acronym and looked at how we actively, relationally bless the world around us. So a disciple is made as we hear from God and as we obey him by blessing the world around us. So what does a disciple need to do in order to make sure this is a part of their everyday life? What does a disciple do? Regular Bible reading. Romans tells us that we can't believe the word of God if we don't hear the word of God. So in order to believe the gospel, in order to believe that God is who he says he is and that life operates the way he says it does and to believe that he is the one that has wisdom, we have to be people of the word. So a disciple is regularly in the word of God. If they are not, then there's no way that they can be a disciple because a disciple is a learner. They learn what Jesus tells them. They learn Jesus' way of life. They learn God's will for their life in this world and they learn it through his word. And as we hear from God's spirit, as we hear from God's people, it should be saturated with things that come out of this should be saturated with things that come out of this. It's even how we know if the Spirit is speaking to us or if we just had a bad meal before bed. It's also how we know if the things people are saying to us is actual wisdom or just their opinion. We check it out with the Word of God. So we have to be people of the Word. So a disciple is regularly reading their Bible. And not in some legalistic, check all the boxes, get through the Bible reading plan, be a good person kind of thing. But we just have to know who God is and what he says, and we learn that through his word. A disciple meets regularly with other believers. I think we operate best when there are one or two people that know us best and we know best that hold us accountable for believing the good news for ourselves and then obeying the Father with how we love one another. And then a group or a pool of people smaller than 12 to 14 that you meet with weekly. I say smaller than 12 to 14 because if you get more than 12 or 14 adults in one room, you can no longer really know each other or have a discussion. There's even some new research that I don't have time to get into that after there's 12 people in a room, that 13, 14, 15 adult, it makes everyone more quiet and less talkative. Interesting. So we meet with other believers regularly in groups small, medium, and large. And then we share with those individuals what God is teaching us with those other people so that they can hear from God and we can hear from God as they share with us. And then a disciple lives a lifestyle of sharing the good news. Not once in a while church events, not once in a while going on a trip overseas. It's someone who is regularly living a lifestyle of sharing the good news through demonstrating and declaring by blessing the world around us. So this is what a disciple does. Again, this is not a legalistic list or a checkbox. Once I check all these things off, then it's, it's not this formula that this is how you make a disciple. But if these things are not a part of our life, we lose our love for God and others. We come very myopic. We come, become very self-focused. And pretty soon we're mostly hearing from ourselves, And we're not hearing from the Spirit and God's people on a regular basis basis. We lose intentionality. We start having confirmation bias when we go to scripture if we don't have these things in our life. Where we just read things and then we believe what we've previously believed and we're glad that the Bible confirms what we already believe. 
But if we have these things in our life, there's a built-in accountability. So this is what a disciple looks like. This is how they're made. This is what they do. So how are we going to do it here at Grace Community Church this year? Where we're going to get into biblical community and meet in groups, either those pools of people or formal groups. And we're going to go through three seasons of ministry. This will be the fourth year that we go through these three seasons of ministry, the welcoming, the getting rooted, and the mobilizing. But we're being a little bit more specific on what you can expect in biblical community as you meet in community groups um, in these three seasons. So the welcoming phase, that really starts now as we welcome new people to town. Families are starting to move to town. Postdoc students are moving to town. Every week from now through August 15th, there is going to be people moving to town every single day. So we're in a welcoming phase. We want to welcome them into biblical community. We're going to start out by doing BLESS, going through the BLESS acronym, doing lifestyle, life on life, getting to know one another with our groups so we can learn more about one another. And then doing a personal and group study through the book of 1 Peter before each sermon is given. We're going to preach through 1 Peter starting on Labor Day. But something different we're going to try is that you are going to get an individual study and some group questions to go through. But you're going to go through those before you hear the sermon on that portion of scripture. Because we want to make sure that you are not just hearing from the pastor. But you are hearing from God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. So we think that little switch is going to root us in scripture well. Then in the winter, we move into our getting rooted season where we are going to encourage everyone in January to pick a Bible reading plan, whichever one you feel led to start, then read the Bible at home. And then when you come together in biblical community, whoever is facilitating the conversation is going to ask one question. What is God teaching you in his word? And then we're going to share what God is teaching us in our work in his word. Sometimes that's going to be everyone sharing a little nugget from what they're learning. Sometimes that's going to be one person basically preaching to the group. Sometimes it's going to be awkward. Sometimes no one did their Bible reading that week and you're going to be like, well, I guess we eat dessert. But the idea is that we are coming expecting to read God's word, to hear from him, and then to have something to share that will benefit the group or just give praise to God. Then in April, we are going to enter our mobilizing season where we are starting to get mobilized to welcome more people into the church and make more disciples. In April, we are going to discover our spiritual gifts. How has God gifted us? What part of the body are we? And then we're going to look for opportunities to be equipped to use those spiritual gifts in the church, in community, and in our broader community. This is how we are going to be an active disciple this school year. This is how we are going to disciple one another this school year. And this is how we are going to bless our community through demonstrating and declaring the gospel. So we have learned here tonight what a disciple is, how disciples are made, what they need to do, how we're going to do it this school year. One quick note before we talk specifically about what community groups are going to do and before we start meeting community group leaders. I haven't used the phrase exclusively community group here tonight, though that's what we call our small groups. I've said biblical community a lot of times. There's a few reasons that I haven't exclusively used that term community group. First, you can have biblical community without being in a community group. You can have 
biblical community without being in a community group. You can be in an intentional pool of people that gets together and shares what God's doing in their life. You can even go through this plan that we're giving you and you can be a biblical community without being a quote-unquote community group. The other thing is that you can have biblical community in a dorm Bible study through Navigators or Crew or Greek IV or any of the number of athletes in action, the, all the different college ministries represented. You can have biblical community in one of those groups even though we don't call them community group. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is I want to encourage you to consider being in a formal community group. And here's why. In the last year, my family was not in a formal community group for the first time in 15 years. And we experienced both the positives and the negatives of not being in a formal community group. The positives were that we were able to spend some intentional time with families that we love who have kids our kids' age, which there's not a lot of kids my kids' age here at Grace Downtown, and it was wonderful. We were also able to do more spontaneously because we felt like we had more time, and so we were able to spontaneously invite people over as well as accept people's spontaneous invitations. Hey, you guys want to come play a board game right now? Or hey, we have extra dessert. Want to come over right now? We were more likely to do that without hosting a weekly community group. We also benefited from being able to prioritize youth group. There's a youth group on Wednesday nights up in North Liberty. We're one church, two congregations. We were able to make sure our seventh grader, who was having a very hard time at school, we were able to assure that he could go to youth group on Wednesday nights. There were some things that we were able to intentionally do, and by the perfect will and foreknowledge of God, he also knew that our son Eli was going to have health problems this year, and there were times, especially in January and February, where we could not have gone to community group because he was struggling and suffering so much with physical pain and anxiety. So on one hand, we experienced the positives of not being in a community group. We also experienced the negatives of not being in a weekly group and knowing that you're going to show up, other people are going to be there, and you're going to interact with the people of God. We experienced the negatives of that. We experienced seasons of deep suffering and doubt, and no one knew. There were times when we were struggling, and we knew we needed to take intentional steps to interact with others, with God's people, but we just didn't have the strength or energy. There were a loss of opportunity to interact with a larger swath of the body of Christ. Our kids hated not being in a community group. They ask every month, when are we going to be in a community group? When are we going to be in a community group? Because they love interacting with all of you because you're more fun and energetic than I am, apparently. So we experience the strengths, we experience the weaknesses. I want to encourage you to pray about being in a community group for two reasons. One, God wants to speak through you to others in this church. There are things that people in this church and people in this community need to hear and they're going to hear it from you as God's word and God's spirit speaks through you. So if you are not in community, you are robbing them of that opportunity. A second thing is that when we struggle, if you go through hard times, which you inevitably will this school year, all of us will, one thing we lose at the very beginning of struggle is intentionality. We stop reaching out, we stop leaning in, 
So I want to encourage you about praying about what does community look like, whether it's being in a formal community group or gathering some people to be in biblical community together. I want you to pray through what that looks like for you. So what is a community group, a formal community group? I'm going to make it very simple for you. Community group is spending time with people you love and getting into God's word. I want you to notice that first part, being in a group with people you love. I have discounted how important that is. And I experienced it in the last year. I both experienced getting to spend more time with people I love, but I also weekly didn't have a chance to spend time with all of you, except for here on Sunday nights. Gather together with people that you want to spend time with and study God's word with them and just see the great things that take place. It's people you enjoy spending time with where you are known and you know others and you're sharing what God is doing in your life. We're going to do it through Bible study. We're going to do it through testimony of what God is teaching you. And we're going to do that through intentional equipping to know our spiritual gifts. Here's the timeline of what you need to know about community groups. Tonight is our community group mixer night. We... um, You get to meet the community group leaders and you get to hear about their groups and you'll see up on the screen here in a moment where they meet and what night of the week that they meet. Each of the community group leaders is going to be at a high top table around um, here in the sanctuary, one in each corner and then one right here in the middle. We'll have five formal community groups this year and tonight we're going to have appetizers on each table and you have to go to each individual table to get your different parts of the meal. It's forcing you to interact with other humans to get your food. Um, So you can go around to the different tables, collect your different appetizers to make a full meal, and then meet the community group leaders at each place. But the idea is that we get to know the community groups and the community group leaders because everyone is going to unenroll from their community group and consider, am I in the right community group? And many of you are going to stay in the same community group because I've talked to many of you, and that's fine and great. We want to give you this opportunity to pray through, am I where God wants me to be? And if so, you're going to have a chance to re-sign up for your current community group, or you can sign up for a new one. You'll get that sign-up link um, in your email, and we'll actually have physical computers set up the next two weeks where you can sign up for community groups, but everyone has to sign up for a community group, even if you are currently in one. Those signups are the next two weeks. The week of August 15th will be your last week in your current community group. And then the week of August 22nd, you will be in your new community group that you have freshly signed up for. So what will community look like for you this school year? I also want to ask you to consider contributing towards what God is trying to do in your group. There's two ways that you can do that. And if you are a disciple, I want you to consider one or the other. I want you to consider contributing to your community group in one of two ways. One is just coming to community group ready to share what God is doing in your life. Even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if you're going through a season of doubt, whatever it may be, come to community group ready to be honest about what God is showing you. God is going to speak through you into the lives of the other people in your group. The second thing I'd like you to consider is helping lead your community group. We could use more recognized leaders in our community groups to take on different areas of leadership to make sure we have good, well-rounded leadership teams in each group. So please consider being a part of a group, but also helping lead the group as well. The leaders don't do everything. They just make sure that everything is getting done in the group. And all of our groups could use some more help with doing that. So please consider that 
as well. Would you stand with me? In just a moment, I'm going to dismiss us. And what we're going to do is we're going to tear down the chairs on the sides. You can leave the chairs up in the middle in case people would like to sit down as they eat. But we're going to tear down the chairs on the side. Then you can go through the lineup here to get your paper goods and drinks. And then you're going to go around and mill about the, the different high top tables to meet community group leaders and eat food as well. But we're going to end on our feet as we do every week here at Grace Downtown to Uh, indicate to God, to declare to God that we plan to obey him at a street level, that we plan to live out wisdom, not just with our mind and with our words, but with our actions, that we're going to obey him and live a life of righteousness with our hands and our feet. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this opportunity to be together. Thank you for this opportunity to eat together. God, you tell us in your word, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. So tonight we want to interact with one another and eat food to the glory of God. God, would you give us wisdom? God, you promise us wisdom. And you say that when we lack wisdom, we can ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God, we pray that we would be a church and a people that looks to you for wisdom. And thank you, God, in advance for generously providing wisdom for us and not finding fault in us, though there is much fault that you could find. God, we pray that you would lead us to the right biblical community, to the right people that would surround us, that would encourage us, that would challenge us, that would uh, praise God with us, that would mourn with us, rejoice with us, and whatever um, may come this school year, God. We pray that you would surround us with people that we can speak what you're showing us, that we can receive from others as you speak through your word, your spirit, and your people. We pray that you would give us strength through this food, you would give us strength and blessing through this fellowship, and we would use the strength you provide to love one another and to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.